Tegan, good news. What's the good news, Chris? We're going to be talking about two of your favorite topics today. Neither of which, by the way, is you, but they are two of your favorite topics. Okay. Um, my next favorite topic might be the Boston Red Sox, Chris. Okay, are we talking about one. baseball? No this baseball. is a baseball podcast? We could try it, but not at a day when the Cubs have lost several games in a row, most of them by one run. We're not talking baseball. No, we are going to talk politics, of course, and media covering many of the media blowups and what it means for politics in our country. Hold your thoughts for the moment, please. I know you've got a lot of them, but those will be our topics today. You good with that? Outstanding. Let's go. A reminder for those who would like to send in email questions. We've gotten a bunch of them over the last weeks. Thank you. Last week's was a mailbag special episode, and we got emails about the emails, which was a lot of fun. So if you would like to send questions for the mailbag, here's how. If you're listening via Political Wire, you know how to contact Tegan via the website or just reply to one of his new Politics Extra Substack newsletters. It occurs to me pretty soon I'm going to have to stop calling that your new Politics Extra Substack newsletter. Politics Extra is in its fourth month, Chris. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of new, but it's not It's not brand new. We'll keep it for a little bit longer, but by six months, it's no longer new. Alternatively, if you're listening to this via Chris Reback's newsletter, email me any questions by simply replying to any day's newsletter. Now, let's get on with business. Wall Street Journal on April 20th. Headline, BuzzFeed is laying off 15% of its staff and making plans to end BuzzFeed news as it contends with ongoing business challenges, Chief Executive Jonah Peretti said in a note to employees on Thursday. The Hollywood Reporter on April 25th. Nate Silver out at ABC News as Disney layoffs once again hit news division. ABC News is expected to retain the 538 brand with plans to streamline the data-driven site. New York Times on May 1. Vice is said to be headed for bankruptcy. The company, which was once valued at $5.7 billion, has been struggling to find a buyer this year. Washington Post on May 1. Fox News is bleeding viewers at 8 p.m. after ousting Tucker Carlson. Carlson averaged more than 3 million total viewers per night from April 17th to 21st, what turned out to be his final work in the time slot. But in his absence, the network averaged only 1.65 million viewers per night last week. The disparity was most stark on Wednesday when Brian Kilmeade's 8 p.m. hour received an average of 1.3 million total viewers compared with the 3 million Carlson received a week earlier, a decline of 56%. Ouch. The ouch was me. It was not the Washington Post. (laughs) Overall, the network experienced a 45% viewership decline last week without Carlson in the host's chair. Ouch. New York Times on May 2nd. Trump agrees to return to CNN, ending a long boycott. Tegan, that's a number of different media outlets, a number of different business models, a wide range in longevity, individuals, and entire companies. What's going on here? You've got the media business going into recession of sorts, kind of like as the canary in the coal mine, maybe for the whole U.S. economy. Digital ad markets are way down this year, ever since the Fed started lifting rates. So you've got a bunch of media companies trying to buckle down and get ready as their advertising is much less than it was over the last couple of years. But I'll tell you this, the one thing that's bad for American democracy is a struggling media sector 
with Donald Trump in the presidential race. And I think that's what's leading CNN to give him an hour or more of their airtime next week. It's pretty extraordinary. Donald Trump has not appeared on CNN since 2016. He's been calling the network fake news ever since. But all of a sudden, we've got this unique situation where CNN is desperate for ratings and Donald Trump is desperate for expanding his audience beyond Fox News and the networks he normally stays on. So it's probably not a good thing. I think we're back to 2016. We're doing this all over again. It feels like it. So let's break that into two. Let's talk about the media business models. And this is not a media podcast, of course, but the components of the business models and the reasons why some of these channels are going away and others are strengthening and the way that advertising is working and the change in the way content is being distributed and the role that social media does or does not play in driving actual media valuation. There's a connection to that, to the way the campaign is going to be run in 2024. So first, let's talk about this kind of evolution in the business models. And then let's really get into a little bit Donald Trump and CNN, because one, obviously that is tied to their business model. As you just said, they are having ratings issues. And two, it's just fascinating to me the way the whole thing is being framed around Trump's media strategy as opposed to CNN's survival strategy. First, on the business models, you and I talk a great deal about media, about what drives the business. So you've got companies like Vice, like BuzzFeed, these new age, always pivoting, moving from clickbait to video to whatever is the next thing, but still always being able to take in more VC money and more investment. And now they're going or gone. What's happened and what does that mean in terms of the campaigning and politics? It's a great question, Chris. If you go back like a dozen years and you look at the media business, there was this new way of looking at the way digital media properties, websites gathered viewers. And the way that they did that was no longer did they think that they needed to actually create a property that people would come to every day. Instead, they thought they would do is they would leverage the eyeballs that were growing at all of these social media properties, whether it was Facebook or Twitter or today, TikTok, Snapchat, all of these social media media entities that have grown up. And there was a thinking back in, you know, around 2010, 2011, that if you could simply produce content and then inject it into these social media feeds, that you could get plenty of audience and that you could then monetize that audience. Okay. So that's what happened. And it was a compelling story for venture capitalists and other investors and companies like Vice News, you know, they managed to get a valuation of almost $6 billion, even though they weren't making money at all during this time. You had a company like BuzzFeed, which decided instead of pushing off listicles and quizzes and other things like that through social media, that they were going to create a news division and that they were going to actually create really interesting news and that they would simply use that same distribution strategy to get to viewers, whether it was Facebook or whether it was Twitter or whatever. And unfortunately for them, it turns out that's not the most sustainable way to build a business. And I don't mean by leveraging social media. The thing that's not sustainable is taking large amounts of venture capital and never really having a plan to earn enough money to pay back those investors. And so you see a situation like Vice News, which is now on the brink of filing for bankruptcy, or you see BuzzFeed shutting down BuzzFeed News, as you mentioned. And then you have other upstarts like 538, where Nate Silver is all of a sudden, his contract's not going to be renewed. And 
and two thirds of the staff at 538 has been let go. It's a troubling time for the media right now, but it's really simply that there was not a plan. There was a Wall Street Journal article a few years ago that suggested that 538 was losing $6 million a year. I don't know about you, Chris, but if I ran my business that way, you know, political wire wouldn't be around much longer either. So, you know, you can't just continually lose money year after year and expect to be bailed out. Well, I remember when $6 million was a lot of money. Those were the days, weren't they, Tegan? The amazing thing about that is, you know, you look at some of the really interesting journalism that BuzzFeed News or Vice News or 538 has produced, but it was never economical. There was no strategy to make it sustainable. And so, yes, if you're spending what seems like unlimited amounts of venture capital money, or in the case of 538, Disney's money, without a plan to actually make money yourself, yeah, you can create great journalism, but at the end of the day, it's just not sustainable. And so all of a sudden, the economy goes into a downturn and your companies are hit, whether it's with bankruptcy or layoffs or both. Just to put a point on it though, Tegan, when you say they didn't have a strategy, is it fair to say there are three main ways to make money in the media business? Subscriptions, advertising, and other. And other could be live events. It could be selling merchandise. It could be other types of sponsorships or whatever, but basically three main buckets. And when you say they didn't have a strategy, wasn't their strategy though largely advertising? I mean, wasn't that the strategy? Well, certainly for you know BuzzFeed News and for Vice News, that was their main strategy. And for the most part, there were other things that they had tried along the way. But yeah, they built an audience and they leveraged that audience off of social media networks, but they didn't have a real way that monetizing it with digital ads proved not as successful a strategy as they hoped. And one of the reasons for that is when you think about any market, when there is scarcity of things, the prices of those things get bid up. In the realm of digital advertising, there is no scarcity. There is essentially unlimited inventory on the internet. And so each of these entities, whether it's Vice News or BuzzFeed or HuffPost or the New York Times for that matter, they would simply create more and more content, which created more and more inventory. And it's really just this race to the bottom because the internet is constantly creating more inventory for advertising. And so when there's more inventory than there is demand for advertising, you see the prices of that get bid down. And so they could never get off this treadmill where they were creating more and more content, spending this venture capital money to do so. And they were never going to get to a situation where they're going to earn enough revenue to pay back those investors. I would argue when you say they built an audience, I would argue on some levels, they actually didn't build an audience. They had people who looked at their content, but those people were looking at their content or finding their content, accessing their content through those social media or Facebook, those sites that you mentioned earlier. And in the end, they did not have a definable owned audience to whom they could either sell subscriptions, sell advertising, or sell other. And in the media business, without a definable audience, you don't have much. That's exactly right. There was a company called Now This News, or yes. maybe it was just called Now This. And what they did was that was their entire strategy is they were going to create videos, which would then go out on these platforms. And they didn't even have a website somewhere where they could actually capture readers. They did not own their readers at all or their viewers in this case. And yeah, so I think that's an excellent point. Let's turn then to two of your favorite people and one of your favorite news outlets. The people are Trump and Tucker Carlson, and the news oh. outlet is CNN. Let's hold Tucker aside for a moment and go to Trump and CNN. 
CNN has an audience and they do monetize that audience, as far as I know, as far as you or I know, through subscriptions to the cable bundle, through advertising that they sell on the site and through other, whatever other stuff CNN sells and does. So that's their model. And now they're bringing back Trump. Why are they doing it? If you're CNN and you're obviously, you've just been taken over by a new company and you're trying to figure out how to make more money than in order to pay back that expense you know, of the acquisition, you're doing whatever you can to try to boost your ratings. You're shuffling the lineup around. We've seen anchors leave the network, whether it's Chris Cuomo or whether you're shutting down CNN Plus. You remember CNN Plus, don't you, Chris? It was a game changer. You know that. A game changer. I think it lasted three weeks. Or you know, Don Lemon has just left the network. And there's been all sorts of shuffling around that has taken place at CNN. They're in this desperate situation of finding viewers. If you look at the viewerships of these networks, the viewership has been going down quite consistently over the last couple of years. But more importantly for CNN is it's been going down faster than the others. And so CNN is in a very difficult situation. And the head of CNN, Chris Licht, is trying to figure out anything that he can do. And remarkably, you've got a situation where Donald Trump, who hasn't appeared on CNN since 2016, is all of a sudden a little bit more interested about maybe widening his media appearances. And you've got a network that is desperate for content and desperate for something to show. And so next week, Chris, assuming it goes through without a problem. Yeah. An internal boycott at CNN or Trump walking away. You're right. Anything could happen. You're absolutely right. (laughs) Anything (laughs) can happen. Donald Trump, I still somehow don't believe that Donald Trump will show up, but nonetheless, CNN has invited him onto their network. They're giving him a platform. It will be live and it's all under the guise of a town hall in New Hampshire. Of Republican or likely Republican voters. Now, obviously within the Republican Party, there are a couple of never Trumpers, I guess, but it's a Republican crowd. That's a big deal because obviously if Caitlin Collins, who's going to moderate this event, they're supposedly going to take questions from the audience, but Caitlin will also have questions that she'll put to Donald Trump. I suspect in a very Republican audience, it's going to be harder to ask him some very tough questions. And if you've paid any attention to Donald Trump over the last few years, there's a lot of tough questions that Donald Trump needs to be asked. He hasn't been on CNN since 2016, so CNN hasn't been asking them. Now they have their chance, and how hard will it be for Caitlin Collins? We'll see. I loved the New York Times headline, and this is the coverage, the way it's been portrayed in just about everything that I've read. Trump agrees to return to CNN, ending a long boycott. And then they wrote, since leaving the White House, Donald J. Trump has favored more friendly right-wing outlets. His decision to appear on CNN represents a shift in his media strategy ahead of the 2024 election. I keep wondering, really, who's ending the boycott? Is Trump ending the boycott of CNN or is CNN ending its boycott of Trump? That's a very good question. If you wanted to look at this a little bit more closely, you might get a little suspicious with the fact that some of the anti-Trump voices at CNN, Don Lemon being one of them, as soon as he's gone, all of a sudden, Donald Trump is appearing back on the network. And there have been directives from CNN's management to not be as opinionated in their news broadcasts, particularly during the primetime hours, and to not try to be a liberal version of Fox News. And so all of a sudden, that is the new programming mission for the channel and they're inviting Donald Trump back. 
unfortunately, it's not that simple. Donald Trump is a very different type of candidate. First of all, he was president of the United States. But secondly, there's all sorts of controversies, all sorts of potential criminal activity that he's being investigated for. And journalists need to ask him questions about this. It will be interesting to see if they're able to ask him questions or whether this just evolves into softballs from Republican voters who like him already. Should they have him on? I personally would not give him the live airtime. I am of the mind where I think we need to cover Donald Trump. I think he's an important political story. He is the former president of the United States. He is under criminal investigation in multiple jurisdictions. He is the runaway front runner for the Republican nomination. He very well may be Joe Biden's challenger in 2024. And so I think you do have to cover him, but giving him a platform where he can talk unfiltered and realistically, fact checks can't be done quickly enough for Donald Trump. And Caitlin Collins, while I do think she's one of the brighter and more capable interviewers on CNN, I think she's going to have a tough time keeping up with him. And Donald Trump knows this. Donald Trump has been around and he knows that he can just talk over people and say exactly what he wants to say. Over, and around, under, beside, yes. Every which way. And, and as you mentioned, which I think is a really smart point, a primarily Republican crowd will be in the audience. And so we'll see how forgiving they are if Caitlin Collins tries to ask some of those questions. So on the Caitlin Collins point and asking the questions, uh, NYU's Jay Rosen wrote this. How does this get handled? Question. President Trump, who won the 2020 election? Trump. I did. Caitlin Collins. No, you didn't. Trump. Yes, I did. Now what? Where does that go? Now what do you do? So if you're CNN, you've got the former president of the United States saying live on air that he won, he won, he won. The election was stolen. The election was stolen. Where does that go? Not just that, Chris. This event will be the week after the leader of the Proud Boys was found guilty of seditious conspiracy as essentially acting as Donald Trump's army on January 6th. Well, one person's seditious conspiracy is another person's freedom fighters. You know that. (laughs) What about questions about that? If you remember CNN's programming on January 6th and after, it was pretty scornful of Donald Trump. It seems a little hypocritical to invite him onto your network on live television. Now, like I said before, I wouldn't not cover Donald Trump. If Donald Trump wants to have an event, I think it's worth taping. I think it's worth watching. I think it's worth parsing. And if he says ridiculous things, if he says smart things, those should be covered because he is a candidate for president of the United States. He may very well be the Republican nominee. So I do think think it's definitely worth covering. But again, as I wrote earlier this week, we're apparently doing this again. We're apparently giving free airtime to Donald Trump. That's a problem, I think. It's a problem for our democracy. It's a problem for the way that we understand politics. CNN doesn't think it's a problem for their business. They're desperate for the viewers. And I promise you there will be many people, even people listening to this podcast who tune in next week. So Trump will be going into this conversation dealing with the New York rape case with E. Jean Carroll, the January 6th and documents cases with Jack Smith, the Georgia case coming, we understand a decision being made later this summer, the Alvin Bragg New York case going on, his vice president, Mike Pence, having just testified before the special counsel. Going into this, do you know what kind of week Trump just had with all that news? Apparently, best week ever. And that's not a Marla Maples quote. You saw the piece. You posted it in Political Wire. CBS News posted, to the extent the Republican primary is a contest at all right now, it looks like it's one between Donald Trump and a sentiment one might call Trump fatigue. And Trump is winning that matchup easily. 
And the poll that they took showed 24% of Republican voters would vote only for Trump. So he has 24. 49% would vote for Trump or other candidates. And 27% are, let's call them never Trumpers. They're not considering Trump. So almost as many people in the Republican Party, voters in the Republican Party, will vote only for Trump as will vote against him. So even with all of those things going on, going into this conversation, this live event on CNN with the Republican audience, he's the one who's having the great week. No, it's extraordinary. And, you know, that poll was pretty enlightening because if there are 24 percent of Republican voters who are only Trumpers, he's the only person they want for their nomination. Do you think if somehow Donald Trump emerges through this Republican primary process and doesn't have the most delegates, do you think those 24 percent of voters are going to fall in line behind Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley or whoever it might be? Personally, I don't. And I don't think Donald Trump will admit that he lost that race. And so I think that's a big problem for Republicans. Normally, you see during these primary contests, normally you see the parties fall in line quite quickly. You know, we had a little trouble in 2016 with the Bernie Sanders voters who didn't really fall quickly in line behind Hillary Clinton. But for the most part, partisans fall in line behind their candidates once they're nominated. I don't think that's going to happen with Republicans if he's not the nominee. And of course, it goes both ways because there's 27% in this poll who don't want Trump at all. And so you've got a situation where either way that it shakes out, about a quarter of the party is not going to be happy. That's bad for the general election if you're a Republican, because it is very hard to unify if you've got a quarter on either side feeling very strong and extreme opinions about Donald Trump. Let's close with a quick story on the uh, other person that you admire, Tucker Carlson. A piece in the Washington Post on May 4th, Tucker Carlson wants to moderate alternate GOP debate. You posted this in Political Wire. Tucker Carlson, who was fired by Fox News last week at the height of his popularity and influence in right-wing punditry, has aspirations of moving into a larger role that doesn't limit him to a single medium. And he is willing to walk away from some of the millions that Fox is contractually obliged to pay him if that would give him the flexibility to have a prominent voice in the 2024 election cycle. Most ambitiously, Carlson wants to moderate his own GOP candidate forum outside of the usual strictures of the Republican National Committee debate system. The idea, which he has discussed with Donald Trump, the front runner for the party nomination, would test his vaunted sway over conservative politics, and it would take a jab at his former employer. Fox is hosting the first official primary debate, which Trump has threatened not to attend, if he can manage to make his grandest plan happen. My quick take? That is a brilliant idea. If I were Tucker Carlson, I would absolutely do that. Your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are, I don't know how many millions you have tucked away, but if he's willing to forego millions of his contract, then he must have millions tucked away, or he thinks he can make millions on this. And let me just correct you, just in case listeners do <laughs> not fully understand this. I am not an admirer of Tucker Carlson. Okay, sorry. I, I was not- <laughs> I actually moderated a panel with him about a dozen years ago, and he was a jerk. So I will say that right out, right on out. I am not, I have not been an admirer of his for quite some time. Nonetheless, he is, he is a kingmaker here. And you know, what I wrote after he was fired from Fox News is I thought Donald Trump's biggest threat would be Tucker Carlson. If Tucker Carlson decided he wanted to run for president, here you had a guy who could talk to Republican voters through a TV camera 
He was speaking their language. He understood their language. He was a television celebrity, just like Donald Trump was, and that this devoted base of support might come out and vote for him in a Republican primary. Interestingly enough, that doesn't appear to be Tucker Carlson's desire. Instead, I think Tucker Carlson, if this report is true, would like to be kingmaker. You can imagine a situation where Donald Trump and Tucker Carlson work together to make this happen. I think that is so well put. I do think that that is what it feels like he would want. It's kind of the position he was in until Fox took his job away. I agree with you as well. I thought, I, I know you had raised it and we have talked about it, the idea that Tucker Carlson might challenge Donald Trump. Very interesting for him to, it appears, take this route instead. Although I guess even as I'm saying that, just because he would take this route doesn't mean that he would not necessarily choose to run on his own. I mean, who who knows what's going to happen. I do think that Tucker, you know, yes, if he's giving up millions, he, let's just say, probably has millions tucked away, put away. I think he could generate millions for this. I think there would be audiences for this. And I think that the ones who likely could be a little bit concerned would be Fox. My guess is they don't let him out of it. They're like, no, we're going to pay you the millions because we're not going to have you disintermediate the rest of our network and our role as Kingmaker. We're not going to go and have you distribute this via Newsmax or wherever else. We're just going to pay you the millions and we'll figure out what you do and how you try to take us down. We'll figure that out later, but we're not going to let it happen right now. I would be surprised if Fox went along with that. We, we will see. Rupert Murdoch may be back in a courtroom before you know it, trying to figure out if his contract with Tucker Carlson is buttoned up. I think Tucker Carlson has probably been reading his contract quite closely. And the fact that this idea has been floated, there might be a loophole somewhere in there, which allows Tucker Carlson to go off on his own. Think about it. It may not be for a competitor to Fox News. It may not be a Newsmax. It may be TuckerCarlson.com. Great, great, great point. What really strikes me, though, about your last insight and your last comment there is you keep alleging that you didn't go into law and that your father was a lawyer and that's just not. But you keep kind of coming back to not bad points about, you know, legal contracts. And there may be another career for you yet. That's my only point. The, well, this if media you see thing- me studying for my LSATs, then you'll know I've reconsidered. And I find that highly unlikely. I find it unlikely too. Do you know what is likely, Tegan? Tell me, Chris. It's time to say goodbye. Bye, Tegan. Bye, Chris.